0: Rogers
1: in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in? Him? In the end zone! It is caught for the win! Pressure. Pass is picked off. And who is it? Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown!
0: Welcome back to another episode of the Packs What She Said podcast. I'm sure you're a little surprised to be hearing my voice as the host today, but figured I'd give Maggie A break, as always. It is Perry Goldstein and Maggie Loney, and we are joined by special guest, friend of the show, reoccurring guest, Andy Herman. Hi, Andy. Hey, how's
2: it going? Thanks so much for having me. This is always one of my favorite events when I get to talk Packers with you guys. So I appreciate you having me on.
0: Oh, we're so glad to have you too. It's been a while. I think it was long overdue, right? We had to, we had to get Andy on. So. Um, for the folks who don't know, which would be kind of crazy, but Andy is the founder and main host of the Pack A Day podcast, which Maggie and I both contribute to. And Andy lives in the Green Bay area, so he's been able to go to majority of the off-season workouts. I'd say majority, right? Um, yeah, all but camp.
2: one that was open to the media.
0: Amazing. So, mini camp, OTAs, and he will be at training camp. So, we're going to get some inside knowledge from Mr. Herman about how that's been and some things that he's seen and um, what we're all looking forward to seeing at training camp. Perfect. Perfect. All right, Andy. So, let's start at the beginning, right? Because um, there was kind of a couple of days where it was just rookies. Um, no vets came all it was rookie voluntary or it's not voluntary for them but some some practice squad guys can go too so what was that like seeing all the new draft picks in town for the first time
2: yeah so you sort of get this like um I don't know, like perfect sequence of events, right? Because you get, you get rookie mini camps, and you get to see these rookies for the first time, which ultimately doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. But first impressions are always fun, right? And the reason I say it doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot because I remember last year in the very first rookie mini camp, Eric Stokes just got completely burnt by Bailey Gaither on one of the first days, and you're like, oh, that's not what you want to see from your first round pick. And then guess what? He had a phenomenal season. So, um, you know, you don't make too much of it, but it's always fun to see. All right, how you know? Just How do these players look how do they pass the eye test and you know Christian Watson's one of the ones that just immediately you don't have to have like a scout's eye or a scouting background to be like wow dude's fast strong physical (laughs) to like you just see all of (laughs) the stuff oozing off of him from the moment that you see him it doesn't mean that he's going to be great it doesn't mean anything but uh, it's really fun to see those traits up live and in person and that's certainly the first impression that you want to get uh, from some of these players Um, so you get to see that first and then you sort of get to you know OTAs and then you get your first glimpse at not only how do these rookies sort of interact now with some of the veterans and start going through some of those sort of things. Uh, But you also get your first glimpse at the, you know, Jerron Reeds of the world and eventually Sammy Watkins, even though he wasn't there until minicamp, but you get to see some of these free agents for the first time. And then uh, obviously once the mandatory minicamp portion hits, everyone's there in this case, except for Alan Lazard, because he hasn't signed yet. But you know, you're, you're just looking for some first impressions. You're looking for who's practicing, who's not. You're looking to see like, all right, who is maybe practicing with the ones that maybe you wouldn't have expected, or maybe who's practicing with the backups that you wouldn't have expected. So those are some of the key takeaways. There's not, as as we were talking about offline, there's no pads in any of these practices. You know, we've already seen some teams get uh, docked and fined and, you know, uh, taken, practices taken away because they were too physical at practice. So there's only so much that you're allowed to do. They had um, a couple of like basically they did like a couple two minute drills and some red zone drills and basically all of OTAs and mini camps and I would say those were done at about like eighty percent speed uh, once again with no live tackling, no you know no pads, no nothing. So there's only so much you can glean from these overall, but at the end of the day it's still fun to get out there, see these guys see where they're at and see some of the just depth chart changes and those sort of things.
1: Yeah, so I did want to ask you because you've been there you know with the depth chart. I know. Um, You know, people were kind of questioning. Rogers had his comments about like the starting trio of wide receivers being Cobb, Lazard and Sammy Watkins and, you know, what that meant for the rookies. And if he was, you know, trying to just say like, hey, they haven't proven anything yet. What was the the, the kind of rotation like a wide receiver knowing that Lazard wasn't there and Watkins wasn't there for a lot of it?
2: Yeah, first of all, that's like the most Aaron Rodgers esque comments ever, right? <laughs> like, just like th- that's the least surprising thing of anything that's happened this offseason that he wants to see the three veterans, Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard, and Sammy Watkins on the field, right? So, um, once all of them were there, and of course Lazard wasn't, but you can very much assume that Lazard would have been practicing with the ones. Um, the rotation that we basically saw was we saw um, Cobb and Watkins and Watson. Um, Practicing specifically with the ones. And then you saw Amari Rogers and uh, as well as Romeo Dobbs get time with both the ones and the twos. So that seemed to be like the next group. And then there was a little bit of time where Juwan Winfrey, it looked like got some of that time as well. And then the Malik Taylors, the Samari Toure's, the Danny Davises, those guys were specifically with the twos in practice. So um, that was sort of uh, how it was broken up. Um, again, Dobbs and Amari were the ones that were kind of flipping back and forth, uh, but you can sort of expect and already see that again, without knowing Lazard's there, we can expect him to be with the ones, but Lazard, Sammy Watkins, uh, Randall Cobb and Christian Watson seem to be the four that are going to be penciled in as the quote unquote, you know, starters and, and key rotational players with maybe Amari and, and Dobbs trying to get some playing time in there as well.
0: That makes sense. I think one thing that I was curious about, and I would love your thoughts is for all of OTAs. So obviously he reported for the mandatory stuff, but for all the OTAs, Sammy Watkins wasn't there, which I think you could make the argument either way, whether that was the right thing to do or not. To me, I think based on his comments to media about how he sees this as his last chance, how this is like he knows that this is a great opportunity. I was even more surprised to think that he wouldn't get that extra time in the building. Um, So I'm curious, like your opinion on it um, and just like what you saw out of him.
2: Yeah, so a couple things. I think most of it's much ado about nothing. Also, it was reported later that Watkins did attend some of OTAs, just not the practices that were open to the media. So okay. it was, you know, he missed a couple practices open to the media, but he was at some of the OTAs. Um, so I, you know, once he got to minicamp and once we actually saw him from a media standpoint, uh, I thought he looked good. He made a couple really nice catches, a couple contested catches, one really nice one-handed catch. Um, again, we're not seeing a ton of team periods here, but he looked to fit right in as far as like what it means for him. I mean, Matt LaFleur basically in his first question about Sammy Watkins, not only like guaranteed that he was going to basically have a roster spot, but that he was going to have a big role in this offense. Mm-hmm. We already heard from Aaron Rodgers that he wants Sammy Watkins to have a very big role in this offense. So, um, you know, I think whatever it is that Sammy Watkins needs to do to prepare for the season. Um, I joked about this with Aaron Nagler. It's like when, when the Packers lost to the 49ers last year, I didn't hear one person be like, Man, if only Aaron Rodgers had been at OTAs, or like, man, you remember yeah. that one, you know, backup player who wasn't at OTAs last year? Man, if he would have been there, they probably would have beat the 49ers, right? Like, by the end of the season, when this stuff actually matters, it does, this stuff doesn't matter at all. And the one thing I will say is, you know, all, so much in the same capacity is made up of like Aaron Rodgers. Well, should he have been, you know, they've got new receivers, they've got rookies, they've got, you know, these, you know, new veterans that need the time with Aaron Rodgers. Like, why is he not there practicing with these new receivers? I think. Uh, clearly Aaron Rodgers doesn't need to be at OTAs or many, you know, whatever for himself, right. He was back-to-back MVP without attending any of that stuff the last two seasons. I don't think it's actually necessary for the Watkinses and the Lazards and the Watson's. I think it, it's actually important for those to, you know, guys to get their reps within the Matt LaFleur version of the offense before Aaron comes in and starts calling crazy audibles and, you know, all the other stuff that he's going to do at the line of scrimmage where all of a sudden those guys are completely, you know, having to, you know, do two things at once. But the one thing I will say is, I do wonder how much Aaron not being there at OTAs does affect some of those decisions for other players, right? does Sammy Watkins feel like, okay, if if Aaron's going to be there at OTAs, I need to be there at OTAs. And, you know, does the Adrian Amuses and some of these other players, like if, and again, we don't know any reason why they weren't there. They could have all had serious personal issues that, you know, we just don't know about. So this isn't a commentary on any of the players, but you know, would more guys have been there if Aaron's there? So his presence, you know, may not need to be there for anything football related, but you do wonder if there's a trickle down effect where if other players are saying, well, you know what, if Aaron's not there, I probably don't need to be there either. And maybe that does have some level of effect. And that's all you know to say at the end of the day, it probably doesn't affect things all that much, but that would be the one question I have coming out of that.
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting and, you know, kind of, you know, going back, I guess, more to Roger's comments, but I thought, you know, the way he articulated it was really interesting. And he said, like, you know, he needs these players, these rookies to learn the Lafleur offense, like you said, first, before he comes in there and starts changing things up. So his presence in this first kind of portion of OTAs and minicamp doesn't matter as much because they're, you know, right now at this point running with the twos, and he needs to get his own acclimation into the offense and let them handle, you know, their rookie duties before he starts worrying about, you know, his relationship with them, which I think, you know, will come in training camp early. But I, I do understand, you know, the questions of, if you've got these young guys, could you be doing more to maybe bring them up to speed a little sooner? And the one I thing I'll say...
0: I was going to say, I think, though, that It almost is better. I mean, the way I see it is, I think it's actually a little bit better that Rogers is in there. He's such a a presence, right? He's probably so intimidating. Like, this is the guy, not just you need to impress, but you kind of have to in order to be at all successful. And he, on top of it, is known to call out his rookies for not knowing anything. So giving them... A plenty of practices to learn the playbook to try to get out there and start to execute it in like a much more relaxed comfortable setting without him I actually think that probably sets them up better for success with him once he gets to practice
2: I think there's a piece of that that's true I think there's also a piece of I think Aaron is underselling um, what his presence can mean for some of the younger players as well. Like you could even just tell, like, there would be times where he would take Danny Davis to the side and just be like, you know, good play, or like, this is how I want to see this run or like just some things like that, that those little coaching moments, even, if Aaron Rodgers was there in OTAs and you're like, you know what, you're not going to get any of the reps. Jordan's going to take all the reps today and we're going to get all these players on the same page, but Aaron's there and just kind of like walking through, maybe even calling the plays that are, you know, going to get called in some of the practices so he can stay engaged and walking that through that stuff. I'm not saying that that needs to be something that's mandatory. I'm not saying that's something that Aaron Rodgers should have to do. Um, but, you know, I think he made some sort of comment of like, you know, his presence isn't going to help or something like that. I think that undersells um, his value. I think he does have a lot of presence and a lot of, value and you could see even some of these younger players taking to the coaching from Aaron Rodgers not the quarterback Aaron Rodgers but just some of that coaching and those one-offs and two-offs of exactly how he likes things done I think that stuff does matter so this this is all to say that there's bits and pieces of all of it and there's always gray area right like I don't think at the end of the day any of this stuff ultimately matters all that much but I think there's pieces that if Aaron was there that there'd probably be things that would be better I think there's pieces where if Aaron was there yeah maybe guys are making more mistakes and having more pressure on them too so I think it all probably works out in the end, but you know, it's all fun conjecture in, in the offseason, Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of cool too to give some of those guys the opportunity to step into leadership roles when Rogers isn't there, you know, we knew yeah. like Randall Cobb was going to be one of the leaders of the offense, but to hear like Christian Watson say that, you know, Jair coaching him up was like one of the most beneficial things so far from camp. Like those are fun things where I think I was talking to my dad about this actually, but you're looking at a core of, young guys like Kenny Clark and Jair who they're going to be kind of the faces of the franchise with these Mm long-term contracts. And if Aaron's on a year to year basis, I just, I think about how much this does matter to Jordan love and giving him, you know, the additional opportunities to acclimate with receivers that maybe he will be throwing to in a couple of years.
2: And I talk about this uh, quite a bit, probably too much, but um, Matt LaFleur wants a player-led team, right? And it's one thing to have a player, like want a player-led team, but it's really difficult to have a player-led team if you don't have the leaders in your locker room that need to be a player-led team. And I think really the synergy between Brian Gudekinst and Matt LaFleur has been so good in that regards. And I talk about it all the time, but you look at every single one of these position groups, right? Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, veteran coach, et cetera. At running back, you've got Aaron Jones as the leader in that group. At tight end, you've got a Mercedes Lewis. At wide receiver, you've got now a Sammy Watkins and a Randall Cobb. At tight end, or excuse me, at offensive line, you've got David Bakhtiari. Defensive line, you've got a Kenny Clark and t- you know, Dean Lowry to some extent as well. At edge, you've got a Preston Smith. Inside linebacker, Devondre Campbell. Corner, Razul Douglas, and now Jair Alexander as well. Safety, Adrian Amos, special teams, Mason Crosby. And every single one of those position groups, you have a leader within that huddle, a leader within that locker room, a leader within that meeting room that can take that group and say, this is how it's supposed to be done. And all those guys I just named, there's not a one of them that you wouldn't want as one of the leaders within those, those groups, right? So it's it's one thing for Matt LaFleur to have this idea of like what this player led team will be like but it's a total you know a total different you know capacity that they can reach when Brian Gudikins goes out and helps them get the players in each of those position groups uh, to succeed in that as well so I love the synergy between the front office and the coaching staff there
0: I would even put Rashawn Gary in that leadership sure. I mean I know he's a rookie but I just Leading think by this, example. this camp yeah has has really I think uh, shown Packers fans and hopefully anyone else who's paying attention to the team like This guy is not just, you know, ascending potential, you know, one of the best edges in the league, but he is and probably will be the leader on that side of the ball for years to come. Um, And I love what he's showing the young guys. So you've seen him now. He's been at every single practice possible How's he looking? Does he look like he's getting But I mean, I, I can't wait to see him live because I just think this, this year three is going to be huge for his development. Um, but I love what he's doing on and off the field.
2: Yeah, I would say trenches are always the toughest because, again, you're you're not going full speed a lot of these times and you're not trying to beat up the guy in front of you. So until pads come on, it's a little bit tough. That's why, like, you won't see a lot about, you know, Devontae Wyatt, you know, and what he can bring Just because it's so tough to glean exactly what he's going to be able to do in some of these practices. Right. But uh, the biggest thing and best thing I can say about Rashawn Gary is he looks exactly like Rashawn Gary, if not like a just step more physical. Right. Like I, I talked about this the other day. I think this is a ceiling setting season for Rashawn Gary. Right. We already know he's a very, very good footballer. Football player, And I don't think there's anything that's going to change the fact now that he is a very, very good football player. And now to me, this is the season that probably sets the ceiling for Rashawn Gary of, all right, what is, what can he achieve? Because I think this is, if he takes another step, like if he, if there's like, he's improved every season. Right. And if he takes another step on this team, you know, now you're talking about legit all pro player, one of the best pass rushers in all of football. And now you're talking about him with Max Crosby's and the TJ Watts and those sort of players in that capacity. I don't think he's that far off already, but if all of a sudden he reaches that another, level and gets to that all pro level. I mean, man, it's just such a huge game changer on defense. When you have somebody that's consistently wrecking opposing offensive tackles, opposing offensive game plans, when you have somebody that the opposing, I mean, Green Bay has multiple of them, I think, but uh, especially in defense, but when you've got somebody that the opposing offensive coordinator is staying up late at night, figuring out how the heck are we going to defend this guy or make him that he's not a wrecker on defense, um, that just changes everything. And I think we're going to see a, get a very good glimpse of just how high of a ceiling Rashawn Gary has this year.
1: Yeah, I kind of like I want to stick with, you know, the idea of the pass rush, but I also want to kind of like work our way back in the defense a little bit. So, you know, obviously the Packers first two selections were Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt. So what do you think that does for, I guess, the versatility that we could see out of this front? Because the Packers had a really good front seven last season arguably not as good as the secondary, but I I know we'll get there. So, you know, I know there was talks about Quay Walker rushing off the edge occasionally, or Sean kind of being that roaming nose in the middle. So, like, what's the versatility, like, now with some of these rookies, even though I know it's early and they haven't had that many snaps in the defense?
2: Yeah, I think the thing that I'm starting to, you know, love about this defense is it's a a different level of versatility, right? Like, we used to see different packages and different mixing and matching of players, but a lot of time what that equated to is, You needed to take somebody off the field because they couldn't do something, right? You needed to take Chris Barnes off the field because he couldn't cover and maybe put like a safety in, in that position so that they could cover, right? You had to take, uh, you know, Tyler Lancaster off the field because he couldn't rush the passer. You had to mix and match certain players and platoon players because you had to, because there were, there were just deficiencies in what they could do. I think what I love about this 11, you know, ideal 11 man, you know, defense is with Savage and Amos and Douglas and Jair and Stokes and Campbell and, uh, sorry, rookie inside linebacker who's now. Quay. <laughs> uh, thank you. Quay Walker, uh, Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, and then probably Kenny Clark and maybe either Devontae Wyatt, Dean Lauer, whoever that is. Now you've got an 11 that it almost doesn't matter what the opposing team is lining up with. If they go power personnel, if they go speed personnel, if they go five wides, if they go whatever, like you have a defense that can sort of mix and match with anything that gets thrown at them. I think they wanted to play a lot more nickel a season ago and just didn't have like, it ended up having to be a lot of either Henry black or Chris Barnes on the field. And they had to try some different things that just didn't always work at times. And a lot of that was due to the injuries as well. But I think they have not only the 11 that they feel very comfortable with, uh, but I also think that they've got a defensive line rotation that's deeper than it has been in some period of time. So I think a lot of that is due to Walker and Wyatt and what they can bring to the table. Um, But I think it's just also a testament to getting some of these guys back from injuries and the overall talent and depth of this defense. I think that's why people are so incredibly excited about what this Packers defense could be in 2022.
0: Yeah, when I look at it on paper, I'm like, there are no holes here really. Um, like any hole that I think, I mean, you could find if you're trying to be nitpicky is maybe that third safety and third edge. But I mean, now you're getting to the point where you're like, okay, uh, the depth chart, the depth chart could be strong. I mean, like there, there's really nothing there. I think it's interesting that you kind of list this out as this kind of base 11 being nickel, because like you said, that's kind of you could tell that's what Barry wanted to do last year. I think it makes the most sense just with the way offenses work these days with needing needing three corners on the field and you, when you look at the Packers roster you're saying all right, we want our best guys out there. How do we do that? And three of their best players are cornerbacks and you kind of hear out of camp that it's actually Rasul who's taking over that nickel spot, which I never really would have pegged if you had asked me a couple of months ago, but it sounds, I mean, again, if you're trying to get Stokes, you're not going to move off the boundary. Jair is your best boundary corner. So I guess, you know, you, it makes sense, but I'm very curious to see kind of how he does in that role and Maybe if they had a stronger third safety, like they'd move Savage down. But at right now, like I'm happy to see Rasul in the middle of the field.
2: Yeah, I really like this, and it makes so much sense because while I think Jair could be a very, very, very ideal slot corner, um, I also don't think that, especially coming off a shoulder injury and at his size, that you want him banging against the George Kittles and the Kyle Jacks and the TJ Hawkinsons and all of those players where he's going to have to be setting the edge at times. He's going to have to be taking on more physical running backs in the run game and being that physical tackler. And while I think he's more than capable of doing that, When you give the top corner contract of all time uh, to that guy, you don't want him doing that with any level of consistency, right? So that's not to say on obvious passing downs or if Justin Jefferson lines up in the slot on a third and 12 or the Vikings are down by 14 in the fourth quarter and you know they're throwing the football that you can't move Jair in the slot and have a markup against Justin Jefferson on any given play that you want. But I think it's really smart and important that it's not Jair that's just like all of a sudden like he's your, he's your common consistent nickel back because again, I don't think that's best for his longevity and especially when you just gave him that huge contract, rightfully so. So keep him on the outside on those early downs. And then if you've got a, you know, their best wide receiver in the slot on obvious passing situations, by all means move, you know, Jair inside, put Razul outside. You're going to be just fine with Razul on the outside in that situation. And I think the, the, I think the undervalued trait of a a slot nickel corner is intelligence. And it also is, is tape study. And I think Razul Douglas with his intelligence and his tape study and just knowing, you know, sort of. Tendencies and if it's going to be a run or a pass, and how to gauge some of that stuff. I think Douglas is going to fare very well. There's going to be certain mismatches where if he's lined up against a super twitchy, you know, smaller wide receiver, that you know maybe they could give him some trouble. Uh, but no different than Chan and Sullivan, right? Like that's still going to be an upgrade there. So uh, I, I love the move. I think it makes all the sense in the world. He's still going to have to earn that, as the the coaches have said. It's not just going to be gifted to him. They're going to try different players there. But I think it makes all the sense in the world for him to be their sort of base nickel corner.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad that Perry brought that up because that's one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, you know, like sights and sounds coming out of this first little group of OTAs in minicamp. But, you know, we talked about the nickel and maybe some of the the fluctuations that will happen there or the rotations with players. But what does the dime package look like? Is there anybody that's kind of claiming that sixth spot right away? Shamar John Charles is obviously a name in there. Um, But outside of that, you know, I don't think fans have heard too much about who that third safety even could be.
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be Sean Davis. I I, I shouldn't say that. I don't think we probably have a great understanding of it yet until training camp comes around. But if mini camps and OTAs were any indication, um, I think Sean Davis has a really strong claim on that potential position, uh, specifically as the third safety. And then I think um, you know the other one is is going to be the uh, the corner that they got Keyshawn Nixon as well. So I thought he had a really impressive mini camp and OTAs. He he batted away multiple balls. He looks like he has the ability to be not just a special teams guy, but potentially be. a slot corner as well and maybe get in on some of those situational plays as well. So um, I think there's a variety of things they could do. I think they could go, you know, Jair, like, let's say it's a dime situation, obvious passing down. I think they could go with Keyshawn and uh, Jair in the slot with Douglas and Stokes on the outside Savage, and then Amos at safety. And I guarantee that's going to be one of their packages where they want those four corners on the field with the two safeties. But I also think they'll probably have a big dime as well, where it's three safeties and they're probably dropping Probably Adrian Amos in the box, and then having Savage and um, Sean Davis back at safety. And then again, probably Jair in the slot in those obvious passing situations with Douglas and Stokes on the outside. So I think there's a couple different ways that that dime package could go. I don't think Sean Davis or Keyshawn Nixon have those spots claimed 100% for sure. But if OTAs and minicamps are any indication whatsoever, Sean Davis and Keyshawn Nixon have the very, very, very strong head start on the third safety and fourth corner spot, respectively.
0: Okay. New names for everyone to get familiar with and recognize. I like it. Do you think there's a world, I was talking about this with my dad this past weekend, because it kind of came out of our our Father's Day episode, and- like you don't want to ask your rookies to do too much right off the bat right like you you want to give them their assignments and make sure they excel at those and then like expand from there but like do you think that there is a world where in some instances like you're actually dropping quay into coverage
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think he's going to have a really big role in this defense. I think Chris Barnes is going to fight tooth and nail. I think Chris Barnes is the absolute perfect guy to have there um, sort of to push Quay Walker into that starting position, right? Because Chris Barnes has had to fight for everything his entire life to become an undrafted free agent and then all of a sudden become a a starting inside linebacker for the Packers. He was the guy. And then, of course, they get Campbell and then they get Walker. And now he looks and projects probably more as the number three, which is probably what he should be um, in an ideal world world, but he's going to fight tooth and nail for every snap that he can steal away from Quay Walker. I think that pushes Walker. I think that's a perfect scenario. And maybe Barnes is more of your early down linebacker, again, playing more of some of the obvious rundown situations. I think that could be a really nice role where Barnes still has a a role within this defense. And again, not trying to put too much on Quay Walker's plate, but... I think the nickel is very much going to be Walker and Devondre Campbell. And again, even in situations where in past years, you would see, I think, dime defense from Green Bay and maybe a safety drop into the box. I think they're just going to stay in nickel eventually. If Quay Walker can be who they want him to be and Devondre Campbell can continue to be the exact same Devondre Campbell we saw from last season. If that's the case, I think green Bay is going to do a lot more nickel and just be like, yeah, we don't need a a fourth defensive back. We're going to run a lot of zone. We're going to, you know, keep our two safeties high. Um, And we feel really confident that Walker and Campbell can cover inside. And we trust our corners on the outside and in the slot and this just gives us the best possibility because we can also blitz Campbell and Walker. We can still be more stout against the run than if we have to bring a safety in in case they run a draw, in case they run a tight end screen, running back screen, whatever the case may be. Um, I just think it gives them potent, you know, a, a better overall potential. So I think we're going to see a lot of Quay. I think we're going to see a lot of two linebacker sets. I think Barnes is going to fight tooth and nail to steal any snaps away that he still can. Uh, but I think there's probably a, a scenario where we still see both of those guys in the field and a lot of Quay in coverage.
1: Nice. Yeah, I really like that. And I don't want to take us back to the offense, but I realize we've kind of touched on just about every draft pick except the three offensive linemen. So just curious, you know, how they've looked and kind of where they've lined up. Respectively, the dog just sneezed. So going to see <laughs> if I can edit that out. Um, but then beyond that, maybe if you haven't shared a name already that somebody you're keeping, you know, a closer eye on, on training camp or somebody that you think could be your sleeper to make the 53.
2: Yeah. Great question. So I'll start with the offensive lineman. So uh, we haven't seen a ton yet um, from the rookies. Again, it's really tough for, you know, th- to glean against some of the trenches. Right. But as far as like where they've lined up, we've seen Zach Tom line up at left guard center and right guard already. So he's already showing off his versatility, but with that second team, we saw a lot of, um, uh, Tom at center and then Sean Ryan at right guard and then Rasheed Walker at right tackle. So it seems like those may be like their initial positions that they're getting trained on. But again, Zach Tom, we've seen already at left guard, center, right guard. I think there's an, a potential world in scenario where maybe Sean Ryan can get in the right tackle conversation as well. Uh, but I think it's just going to be day to day for a lot of these rookies, um, especially on the offensive line. And I think um, as of right now, Cole Van Landon's taking a lot of reps with the ones at right tackle um, with Yash Najman getting a lot of the left tackle reps. They've also swapped those two. We've seen Royce Newman both at right guard and right tackle. We've seen Jake Hansen get snaps at right guard. So they're definitely trying to mix and match some things and trying to figure out again, the usual Packer best five offensive linemen, depending on who's who's there and who's practicing. So I think we're going to still see a lot of mixing and matching, but I think it was smart not to overwhelm um, you know the the rookie offensive linemen too much and probably keep them with the second team and start trying them out in some different spots. As, as far as like guys I'm really looking forward to on training camp, I mean, of course you want to keep an eye on the rookies and see yeah Christian Watson just such an important player right and I know Perry and I have talked about this on on pack a day but like you there just needs to be a player on this offense field and be that can just get the ball in their hands and make things happen be that playmaker within the offense I just did a huge deep dive into every touchdown drive the Packers had uh this past season and so 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 much of it was eight plays, 80 yards, 10 plays, 76 yards, 12 plays, 68 yards, like just these grind after grind after grind, which just makes you be so perfect that you're not getting holding penalties, that you're not fumbling the football, that you're not getting turnovers, and then that you're executing in the red zone. Um, and, And it just makes it really, really difficult that you need those explosive plays. So really want to keep an eye on Christian Watson. If he can be that guy that, you know, can threaten deep, that can stretch the field, that can get the ball in his hands and make those plays two of the guys that I just mentioned, Keyshawn Nixon and Sean Davis, like there's a real opportunity that, yeah, maybe there's only a certain percentage of plays or certain packages that they're in, but that they're very much in line for snaps on this defense. And as we've seen in the past, a lot of times you're only as good as your weakest link. And if you've got one of them, the opposing quarterback, especially if it's a Tom Brady or a cerebral quarterback across from you, they're going to attack that over and over and over. And we know there's going to be injuries in the secondary. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, Perry, before, like, we can nitpick of like, all right, who really cares who's the fourth corner and who's the third safety, right? If you're getting to that point, it doesn't really matter that much, but we just talked about five defensive backs or you're starting defensive backs. That's three corners, two safeties. If any of them go down, the next player up is as of right now, probably Keyshawn Nixon or Sean Davis. Like you're one injury away in your secondary from either Nixon or Davis playing almost every play on defense, So it may be like, you know, we're not super concerned about that. Yeah. If everyone stays healthy, that might sound great, but the odds that Amos and Savage and Jair and Douglas and Stokes all stay healthy, all 18 games probably, or or hopefully more like probably not great. Right. So, um, you know, I I think those players are going to be definitely ones that I'm keeping an extra eye on in large part because of that.
0: Yeah. Maggie, who's your, who's your camp, um, person that you're, you're keeping an eye on.
1: I, I don't know. It's probably kind of predictable, but I I think it's Romeo Dobbs for me, and it's just because you know we we've heard about Christian Watson. He's obviously the second round selection. He's poised. We think to have a really large rookie impact, but everything that I mean I've heard. Andy, please correct me if I'm wrong. Is that he is able to catch everything. And I think he might carve a rollout for himself in the offense. And Perry, we've talked about this on the show, too, where we're not sure there's going to be a 1,000-yard receiver even an 800-yard receiver. So finding, you know, five or six bodies that maybe are accumulating 500, 600 yards apiece and the way that the ball is spread out in this offense. And I think Dobbs could be one of those guys that's maybe going for 500, 600 yards in, like, a really under-the-radar kind of way.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, you need, like we said, we I, I think, Andy, I, I, I debuted this thought process on Packy Day, but just, like, filling the Devontae hole is just going to be, like, by committee, right? So someone's going to take... Each player's got to take, like, a little bit, a chunk, right? So if Romeo Dobbs can take a chunk of that work and and do it successfully, then um, that, that's a great rookie season for him. Mine's probably not really a surprise. I'm not sure. But, like, I think that this is the year for Darnell Savage, right? We just talked about Rashawn Gary, how like this is his ceiling year. Like we know that he's in a, you know, already ascended to the place where he should be as this first round pick. Like we feel really good about it. You know, the Packers are keeping him around. Well, Darnell Savage was taken in the same round as him, right? Same draft. And it's a completely different story um, for, right? He's had flashes He's had some really not great moments where you kind of question, you know, some things that he's done on the field. So this is the season where I'm kind of saying, all right, how are you going to put this together? Right. Are we going to, are we going to take the fifth year option or are we, is this going to be an extended you know, time period in, in Green Bay for this player? Um, I think the answer is, you know, yes, they pick up the, the fifth year option, but I I just I, yeah, I just kind of want to see like what this next step is for him because I think it's really important because in my mind safety was already a position that the Packers probably should have gone for in this draft and so if Savage has, you know, a down year and it's like all right, maybe this isn't the player we thought he was, now it's even more so important to find that next guy to fill that role. So um yeah,
2: that's a great point. Just going back to what you said a little bit before about the the wide receiver by committee, right? Like, I think what, to me, what Matt LaFleur is, is, is he's like a chef, right? Yeah, it's really nice to have a premium ingredient in Devontae Adams, but sometimes, like, the best chefs can take different ingredients and just make them special by blending them all together in the right ways, and you don't need that one overpowering ingredient. And I think the way that I view this entire offensive fleet of weapons is yeah, you don't have that Devontae Adams anymore, right? but name a type of player that green Bay doesn't have on offense. Do you want a overall running back who can, you know, shake and wiggle and make people miss and do everything. All right. You got your Aaron Jones. Do you need a power running back? All right. You've got your AJ Dillon. All right. Do you need a blocking tight end? You've got a Mercedes Lewis. Do you need an overall tight end? You've got a Robert Tunyon. You know, do you need uh, more of a H back slash fullback slash tight end, whatever you've got, you know, your Josiah DeGuara, you know, you've got, a plethora of different mix and match pieces that we know can play all over the offensive line, especially when everyone's healthy, including an in Elton Jenkins, where you can pretty much play anywhere and match him up against anyone that you want. You've got an MVP quarterback, you've got your possession wide receivers in Sammy Watkins and Alan Lazard. You've got your slot wide receivers in Amari Rogers and Randall Cobb. You've got your speed slash gadget slash potentially you know, variety of different things, wide receiver and Christian Watson. We, We still have yet to exactly, you know, peg Romeo Dobbs for what that potential role may be. But, you know, you've got all of these different flavors and ingredients of players. And I have full belief that Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur combined know and will be able to get the most out of all those ingredients because every play call on Matt LaFleur offense calls for something different. And if you don't have one of those pieces, you're going to be missing something. I still have a, a legit concern of like, that all sounds great until it's third and 13 game on the line and you need to convert and who's going to get open in that situation. And like all of the eye candy and all of the other stuff goes out the window. You just need to convert a first down. I think some of that stuff still needs to be answered, but I think in the the normal flow of the offense, Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers are going to be just fine with the weapons that they have on offense.
0: Master chef NFL edition.
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. I also think that this offense is faster, just has more speed than previous offenses that I've seen I mean don't get me wrong Devontae is one of one but he's not gonna like blow the top off you right like we we basically had MVS and that was it and I think some of these rookies bring in like some speed same with Sammy Watkins that Packers haven't had in a while which is how a lot of these teams I think have been winning these like kind of track meet type games
2: speed kills no question about it
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's just, you know, my biggest takeaway from all of this so far is the versatility on both sides of the ball and knowing, like, one, how Matt LaFleur operates, the use of, you know, 21, 12, all the different personnel packages we're going to see, then flipping that and seeing how Joe Barry is going to utilize, especially his inside linebackers, because we know that's like his bread and butter on the defense. But really quickly, Andy, before we let you go, I did want to get your thoughts on the new special teams coordinator and what it's been like to, you know, talk to him, be around him, and see how he coaches what was, you know, honestly, the worst unit I think many of us have seen in a a very long time. Yeah, in our lifetime. <laughs> it's, you know,
2: I, I hesitate to say it can't get any worse, right? Because I said that two years ago uh, when they moved on and got a new special teams coordinator and guess what? It got worse. So I'm hesitant to say, but it does feel like they're at least trending in the right direction. And this is not going to be an overnight, you know, 360 change. I don't think Green Bay is all of a sudden going to have a top 10 special teams unit, but you can see that there is an intensity and a passion and a very thorough thought process to what's going in on special teams right now. You see more veterans practicing with special teams than you've ever seen before. You've seen Rich Passaccia getting after players and wanting things to be a a very specific and detailed way. I just think there's a, a much, a much better energy a much better focus on that entire side of the football. And I think for the longest time, and I don't think this has surprised anyone, it was just sort of the forgotten aspect. You had MVP quarterbacks from Favre to Rodgers, and you know when you were at your best in the two Super Bowl wins in '96 and 2010, you had you know phenomenal defenses, and you know you you forget that special teams at times were very integral uh, to both of those teams as well, specifically the '96 team, and it just seems like it got forgotten at times. And hopefully, this is a step in the right direction to to bring that back. And uh, I'm excited to see what they can do. Which is a crazy thing to say about the Packers special teams. You know, Mason Crosby on a super windy day with a new holder, you know, and a, a new unit around him went six for six. Um, so hopefully, uh, hopefully that's a step in the right direction, and, and you know we can get back to having faith again once Ma- Mason Crosby steps on the field.
0: I would love that. That used to be a just baseline, not even question it. And then last no, year, no. all of a sudden, it was like my my faith was shaken um anyway andy thank you so much for joining us and for giving all of your insight um we can't wait to actually be up at training camp have our own observations with our own two eyes but for now you are our eyes and we very much appreciate you before we let you go everyone on the show should already be listening to all your content but if they're not somehow please tell everyone where to find you and what you're working on
2: yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Um, I post everything that I'm working on, but uh, make sure to check out uh a podcast. Um, you can find it wherever you get your favorite audio podcast. We have an amazing team of people that includes Perry Goldstein and Maggie Loney. And then you can also check the YouTube version, which is usually me. But every once in a while, we have some guests, including the two aforementioned amazing people as well. So make sure to check that out wherever ever and whenever you can.
0: Awesome, thanks, Andy. And uh, as always, you can follow us at Perry underscore Goldstein, at Maggie J Loney, at PWSS Podcast on Twitter, Packs What She Said on Instagram and Twitch. We cannot wait until we start going live again because that means we have actual football to talk about. So that will happen again this season. Um, and as always, go pack, go, go pack, go. And Jones out in front. They're trying to chase him down.